As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way For most racers around the country, we are approaching the off-season. What better way to use the off-season to ready for 2019 than to have a regular practice regimen? Portatree products make great gifts for racers. If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put Portatree on the list. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next-Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree. Portatree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call Portatree, 1-800-541-7613. Find them on Facebook or check out www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This offseason, it is our goal on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to interview each of the 2018 world champions. So the NHRA Lucas Oil Sportsman Champs, the NHRA Summit Super or Summit ET Series Champions, and the IHRA Summit Super Series Champions. Today's show is just the latest in 
that pursuit. Today, we welcome 2018 Super Gas World Champion, NHRA Super Gas World Champion, Devin Eisenhower. Devin is just 21 years old, our youngest 2018 NHRA Sportsman Champion. He competes not only in his championship-winning Camaro-bodied Roadster Supergas machine, but also in an American race car's dragster in the 890 category. Not only did Devin win the 2018 Supergas National Championship, he also finished 10th in Supercomp points nationally. In addition to his world championship, Devin also won the NHRA Division Three Supergas title for a second consecutive season in 2018. Time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jen. Welcome back to the podcast, 2018 NHRA Supergas World Champion, Devin Eisenhower. That's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it, buddy? Yeah, it does sound pretty nice. <laughs> this is a, a rare instance for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast because you were on with us just what, like less than three months ago? We only had a handful of uh, two-time guests. And I don't think any within that time period. So I don't know if that makes you... I'm sure that doesn't make you feel as special as hoisting that Wally on Monday in Hollywood, but pretty rare. Yeah, it, it is special to have you guys uh, want to have you come on, come on the show and uh, hang out with you guys. Hey, Jed's not here, so you don't have to blow smoke like that. I know this is just one of those <laughs> things that you, that you got to do. Okay, obviously, Devin, correct me if I'm wrong, 21 years old, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. 2018 Supergas World Champion, first time world champion. And I'm just kind of looking back through your history. I know that this year was a phenomenal season in addition to the world championship. Also got a top 10 in Supercomp with a 10th place finish. Won your second Division Three Supergas title in as many years. Last year was really 2017 when I say last year. Sort of your first taste of the title run at this level. Winning that Division Three crown. I think you ended up like 16th or somewhere in that range nationally. But at least got a, a feel for what that's like like so this really and truly the first time that you've even been involved in a national points chase how is that different from 2017 and, and coming down to the wire to win the division championship well 2017 we uh we just ran the national events for for fun really we didn't have the national chase in mind and we ran the the races that were close to us for the national events and uh, didn't do too well but i did pretty well in the division to put me at 16 and so you had no idea that I was even at 16 so this year is like our first year where we came out with the mindset of wanting to keep track of points and wanting to try to go for it. I know when you were on with us a couple of months back Devin we talked a little bit about your racing background in general but let's if you don't mind take a little bit deeper dive at that. When was your first trip down the racetrack and or like how were you introduced to this sport in general? Well, I was introduced to this from, from my dad. He started racing and uh, my first pass down the track was at, at Indy, the historic Indy for my test passes and my junior and got my license from there. And then from there, we've just been racing pretty much ever since. How old were you at that time, those initial passes? I was nine and um, it, as soon as I started racing, my brother, he was a little bit hesitant about it at the start, and he decided that 
once he saw me start racing, he wanted to, to join in. And then, and then he came along and him and I were racing together for, for 10 years. And we became a lot closer in those 10 years from spending just about every weekend together. Sure. What's the age difference between you and your brother? I'm 21 right now. He's 23. So two years. Gotcha. And like he didn't necessarily follow up on the racing end. Has he raced big cars or no? He's made a couple passes in my dad's car. He um and the the couple of years, so I'm I'm two years younger than him and my parents were very strong at wanting us to age out in juniors and run it all the way to the end. In those two years that I was continuing to race a junior and my brother was not racing, he, he kinda lost interest and he focused more on his career and he's been more focused on that versus wanting to get back into a race car. Gotcha. What's he doing now? He is a field engineer for Bowen Engineering. It's a he works for a great company. He just got his Christmas bonus and he's loving his job. And got his got his own house and he's doing really well. Wow, cool stuff. I always knew that your parents were proud of you, but they should be proud two times over. That's good stuff. Mm, they certainly are. Now, like when you guys started racing junior dragsters, what was your dad racing? He had a '69 Camaro with a 565 in it. He'd run it in Super Pro, and it'd go about 540s or so. And uh, he ran that for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, he he got a couple of runner-ups. He he had he's honestly never won a race before, so it's just different for him. Sure, sure. Has he raced almost continuously over this time, or hit and miss? No, he ran his big car for a couple of years until my brother and I started racing. And being him, he wanted to focus on us and wanted to spend as much time on our racing as, as he could to make sure that we were doing the best of our ability. And he ran the roadster. Well, once I aged out of juniors, he, he ran the roadster for a little bit and I ran the dragster and he decided that he wanted to focus on me and he would rather put all of his eggs in one basket and let, let me race versus us both racing. Yeah, no, I definitely get that impression from him every time that I'm around him. Like, it's more about what you guys could do together than anything that he could take from it personally, you know, mm-hmm. or, or driving on his own. So, no, that is, that's cool to hear you say. I guess let's dive a little bit into your championship campaign in general in, in 2018. Give me like a, a walk through the season. Obviously, you started off with some success, but at what point... Did you, you or you and your father step back and say, you know, we we've actually have a chance to win this thing? Was that early in the year, late in the year, somewhere in the middle? It was about right in the middle. Was it was at Brainerd. I was coming into the race. It was Jim Perry. He was leading, and I ended up getting a runner-up at the divisional, and uh, and I saw that I was I was leading for just a short amount of time. And uh, granted, it was only at like 540 points or so, and I was, and I, I knew that wasn't going to win, but just being up there and on top at that point, I, I knew that we maybe had a shot and uh, and we were gonna we we're gonna continue to pursue it and hopefully you know, remain on top. Sure. And then from uh, well, I won't even take it race by race just yet. When you look back on the season as a whole, and I don't, we we might get into specific rounds at some point, but when you uh, kind of zoom out, is I would and my question is: Is there one race that kind of felt like the turning point? I would assume that that's Indy. No. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, getting my first national event win, getting that, getting that off my shoulders because I've, I feel like I've been cursed at national events, so that was, that was a big relief, and I would definitely say that was the turning point. 
Yeah, there's a turning point, not only like from a, a personal and psychological standpoint, but that's also the race that vaulted you into the lead that ultimately you would never relinquish. So key race from, from a couple of different perspectives there. In between those two, Devin, you had the runner-up at Brainerd, put you at the top, and then a couple of, uh, of not-so-great races, and then Indy catapulted you back up. Talk a little bit about the space in between the Brainerd runner-up and the Indy win. Was Topeka in between then? It was just the national at Brainerd and Bowling Green, it looks like, if I'm reading your ledger right. Yeah. The uh, national at Brainerd, that was, I ended up getting a runner up at the, at the divisional the week, the week before. And I, I lost in the final round against Chris Hess. He, uh, he races for Larson Farms, I believe. And uh, we we had a pretty good race in the the final round and he came up, came up on the right side and then we, we hang out for a week and uh, we roll up there for first round at the national event and, I got to race him again, and uh, no he gets no the best of me again. <laughs> yeah, he gets the best of me again, and um, so that was that was kind of a failure for a national event. And um, I, what was the other race? Bowling Green Divisional, right before Andy. Bowling Green Divisional. I I honestly don't even remember that race. To be honest, I, <laughs> I don't remember how around. I did. How I did. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't win. That's for sure. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would imagine that when an indie has a has a way of easily drowning out uh, a prior performance. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. What. So Indy obviously would be the key race, and I would say this doesn't necessarily have to come from within that event, but if you look back at the season, I mean, it takes whatever, I'd have to do the math on yours, but it's 40-plus round wins typically to throughout the season to win a, a championship. Is there any one specific round that sticks out to you as a as a key round from the season? Um, I would say the... There's probably not any round that sticks out. I think that any any round was super important. That I only won by one round, so if, if something would have happened then just a single round this year, it, it would have been totally different, and I wouldn't be here right now. Sure, sure. To that point, when we talk with all the champions, there's always some pressure-packed moments, and there is typically some drama down the stretch with the possible exception of Justin Lamb, and I guess maybe Steve Williams just went to some extent, nobody went through more drama that they couldn't even control than you did down the stretch, Devin. To kind of bring listeners up to date, you you took the lead with that huge win at Indy, pivotal point in the season, and then just a week or two later, you stretched it at Reading, which ended up being the deciding factor. I think you went four or five rounds at Reading to extend the lead at the time, and ultimately that's what put it out of reach. At your, I believe it was your last national event at St. Louis, you actually went head-to-head with Ray Sawyer. Like, what was it, second or third round? Both of you in title contention at that point. You're the leader. He's trying to chase you down. Can you walk me through, obviously the result of that specific round didn't go the way that you wanted it to, but walk me through that mentally, like coming in and knowing who your opponent's going to be, what potentially is at stake, and kind of your mindset coming into that round. Yeah, well, I, I knew it was a big round. I, uh, I, we ran first round, and I, and I saw him, and I was before the ladder was posted. I was like, all right, I, I hope I got to race him. I hope I got to race him, and then, and then I, I have to race him. And uh, going into it, I, I, mean, I, I knew it was at stake. I knew if he did well, it, it could be, it could be threatening to me. So I was really hoping to beat him, and um, I was behind on the three by a little bit, and we both ran like way off. Like I think I was only going like a 96 all out. And I think he was on the same. So it was really weird because we were way off and um, 
everybody else was spot on. So it, it, it was just a really confusing round. Yeah, just around like when you say that you and Ray Sawyer were both quite a bit slower than you expected, but the rest of the round made pretty decent runs, right? Yeah, like um, I knew he was his way faster than me, so I, he was coming up on me, and I I dropped, and I went like a ten oh two or something like that, and I I thought I was on like an an eighty eight or so, so it was really confusing. I, I just I didn't know what to make of it because I went so slow, and and he went so slow as well, so. If I don't know if it was the track or something, but if maybe if I was on the run that I was supposed to be on and he was on the run that he was supposed to be on, it might have been a, a better race. But yeah, it, it was it sucked to lose that way, but I really wasn't uh, as focused on that race because I was um, like more focusing on other people as well, like Kennard. And um, mm-hmm. although it did really suck to lose that round, it was, it, uh, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, losing a round kind of coming down the stretch, regardless of who's in the other lane, is tough enough to swallow. But when it's another championship contender, obviously that just adds to the emotion of it, if nothing else. Now, that was just the beginning of the anxious moments, I guess, on your end. Because at that point, like you, I think St. Louis, that national event, was that your last points earning opportunity of the season? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so then you you basically set the mark at what you end up with, 622? Let me pull it mm-hmm. up. Yep. Okay, so, okay, here it is, boys. There's where I'm at, but this is, what, late September? And there's mm-hmm. almost two months of the racing season left for you to do little more than sit back and watch. And, and I know, having mm-hmm. been there, that's a tough spot as well. I don't think I've ever sat through anything quite like you had to sit through. I'm not sure anyone has. You go to the the St. Louis points meet. You're out of races, but you're there to, to block and to race for the, the money and the trophy. And you watch Ray Sawyer at that point, which seemed like a long shot. I think he had to win the race to pass you. Is that yeah. is that correct? So yeah, that correct. Okay, so we come into the races. Okay, like, you know, that's possible, but... A, I'm going to be there, so if I win, he can't win. And B, you know, what are the odds? And then the next thing you know, Ray Sawyer stages up for the semifinal round, and you're out of the race, like nothing more than a spectator at that point. What was that like? It was crazy. I mean, <laughs> started the weekend not having to really worry about it that much because, I mean, having to sure. win the race was like was like kind of a long shot. So so I wasn't worried about it that much, but as, as the race kept going on, I was like more worrying about it, more worrying about it. And every single person that he raced was like a, a good opponent. Like he ran, he ran Rock Hoss, Joe Fisher, Don Nichols. There's not one person that he raced that was, was not good. So if, if he was to win that race, it was, it wasn't by luck. It would have been by skill. So it, it was just nerve wracking to, to watch him and, and watch him act, like beat these people that were, like that I want him to race against when he's in that <laughs> right. situation. What was the feeling like when the wind light came on in the other lane in the semifinals? I was happy inside but I didn't wanna I didn't wanna like celebrate or anything. So I just I just like just turned around and hopped on the scooter and, and went back. I, I didn't wanna be too uh, I didn't wanna be I don't know what the word is, but and after the round my dad and I we went and we talked to him and talked to him and Mike and they're really great people and i just just hats off to him yeah yeah no i agree completely because it's you almost feel bad you don't want to necessarily root against anybody even if them losing is great for you but i I understand where you're coming from there then you take all that feeling because it's one thing to 
to be there on hand watching that go down. It's just, what, a couple of weeks later, I assume that you're watching online. Or what was your vantage point for watching? It was the, the national event at Las Vegas where it really got dramatic, right? Yeah, it, we were just at home. And um, so, like, the rounds were pretty spread apart. And so, like, we'd watch a round. We'd, we'd watch it. Brandon Kennard would, would win around, And I'd try to go do something else in the meantime to to try to keep my mind off of it. But I really couldn't do anything like and focus on anything, do anything well, knowing that I, this guy's going around and he, he could pass me. Yes, I have been in that situation. I can empathize. So to set the stage for the listener, and I know that we talked about this in the moment uh, shortly after it happened on the podcast, but coming into the Vegas national event, Aaron Kennard could technically still improve his score at both the national and the divisional, but at the divisional event, he was improving like a fourth or fifth round loss, a good score. Where he had the ground to make up was at the national event. And I believe, did he have to win fourth round or fifth round? I think it was fourth round. Okay. And so he has to win fourth round to overtake the points lead. And basically it wouldn't have been official, but essentially clinch the championship right at that point. And mm-hmm. he gets through the opening three rounds. Not only does he win them, like he was driving lights out, like did an mm-hmm. awesome job. So what is going through your mind staging up as you're watching him stage up for the round that will more than likely decide this thing? I, I was just beside myself because, like you said, he was he, he was driving so well, and I I I almost admitted defeat. And we're all watching it here in the living room, and and we know that this this could potentially be like terrible for us. And r- right before he stages, my dad's like, "He's going red. He's going red." And it's red, <laughs> and it's like it's like what? And and then we just started celebrating. So, yeah, a little yeah. bit easier to celebrate in that moment, not being at the same racetrack, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> For sure. And even at that, like, that's a huge sigh of relief, but it still wasn't over. Like, uh, what Kennard had to now go win fourth round at the national event, still had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Plus, Michael Miller, maybe one other, had, like, long shots, you know, still had mathematical opportunity, mathematical shots. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you've got new life, but you you almost have to fear going through this again the following week, no? Yeah, it, it felt a lot better to have that off our shores um, on that day, but we knew that there still was a chance falling week, and we knew that it wasn't really over, and we knew that this that very situation could happen again. Sure. Thankfully for you, not a lot of drama from there. I think Kennard was red first round at the points meet. Yeah, the points meet was next, right? Yeah. And then uh, Miller never got within, you know, several rounds or whatever. It never came down to that one round again. But to actually go through two of those moments in one season with two different competitors, I think that's pretty rare. I guess Chris Cannon and, and Laboose did that to some extent last year. I think Chris Cannon had a couple of shots to win the round, and Laboose had to watch him. And similar, I guess, to Kennard, Cannon fell short. But that's just got to be such an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, I've gotten super lucky in being in in that situation twice, where my opponent has had 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 to win that round to pass me, and I've just gotten super lucky. And maybe if I'm competing for this next year, and uh, maybe I won't get so lucky. So I'm just I'm just happy that it worked out for me. Take us through a little bit because we talked about. So I guess we'll talk about this in in each of our championship retrospective interviews here, but. It's easy to look back from outside on a championship season and go, okay, well, they went to 14 races. He's really good, and that's that. 
this title chase in your case took you to the the normal places i guess so your division three events which isn't as spread out as some other divisions specifically from where you guys live but also took you to the double divisional in topeka ended up taking you to brainerd minnesota that's not close to anybody to reading pennsylvania like can you speak a little bit just to the logistics and maybe i don't know if grind is the right word but there's a lot that goes into chasing something like this yeah so when we started early in the year we we were fighting problems with the car and actually for for our better interest we decided to skip out on the national event at Norwalk because the car wasn't running correctly and that left us in the spot where we, we had to go to um, Maple Grove and uh, so that's what led us there and then also for the, the divisional at St. Louis and which is late in the year we we always know that the weather weather there can be can be marginal so we knew that we didn't want to claim that race claim that race so we decided that we would go to the Topeka double instead of running our last in-division race at St. Louis just to just to make sure that we didn't have any problems with the track or anything stupid that would potentially cost us a championship. So we went out to Topeka, and that was that was a, a complete failure. Wish we would have had that back, but it, it all worked out. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so basically just two full seasons of chasing NHRA points have resulted in two Division Three Super Gas Championships. One world championship a top 10 finish in super comp a national event win at indy uh it's hard to to fathom how you follow that up but what's next what's the plan for 2019 and maybe even going forward from there uh we're just going to continue with what we're we're doing right now we're doing stuff to upgrade both cars and wanting to make it make the cars even better and wanting to chase the same thing that we did last year and the, the years the two years ago and Gonna hope for the best and just continue with what we're at right now. And maybe later in, in our, in maybe five, ten years from now, we might switch it up and go to some uh, bracket racing type stuff. But I typically pay for all the entry fees, so I can't afford to run all these big money races and stuff. But it is something that I would like to do later in my later in my career. But for right now, we're just gonna stick with what we're doing. Yeah, hard to argue with success. You had mentioned earlier how big a part of your program your father is and how much support you get from family in general. This is, I guess, your opportunity to uh, to thank them, but anyone else too. Like you, Nobody wins something like this alone. So anybody that you want to recognize here publicly, here's your stage. Uh, definitely my dad and my, my mom as well, and my, both my grandparents. My grandma, Mary, um, she was out at Indy supporting me during, during the U.S. Nationals and also, my friend Nathan Tony, he was he's a really good friend of mine from school. He was he was out there in the morning every single day just to watch me race, and and that was that was huge. And so yeah, that's a good um, friend every day, Andy, because that starts early. <laughs> yeah, and he he was really dedicated. He loves he loves racing, and he'd wake up at seven o'clock to just come out there and watch me run that one round of the day, and then and then he'd go about his day. So and he'd bring breakfast every day too. So he's a great friend. That's awesome. All right. Was there anybody else there? I don't want to cut you short. I would like to thank Dennis Woody because um, prior to, I forget which race it was after, there was a race this year that after the, the championship was a possibility, he he decided that he wanted to come over and, and check out the engine on the roadster just to just to make sure that there was nothing, nothing stupid that's going to fail for us. So he came over and, and checked some things out to make sure that 
we'd be ready to to finish the year. Find anything specific, or just just give you some peace of mind there going forward. No, he didn't find anything. He just wanted to check it over, and he, he just wanted to give us a peace of mind to make sure that we don't have any any failures within the injury. All right. You're a seasoned veteran here of this Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, Evan, so you know how we like to close this out. I actually had to go back and pull up and make sure that I didn't ask you any of the same stupid rapid-fire questions that we asked you last time. <laughs> you're, you're a little bit more prepared here, so you're ready to close this thing out with a little rapid-fire. Uh, I think I'm ready. All right. Sporting event that you would most like to attend at some point in your life? Uh, I would probably say like a... Well, I mean, I've been to baseball games before, but I'd like to keep going to those. Any specific venue, or uh, I like going to the Indianapolis Indianapolis Indians games that are here local to Chief, and they're just fun to go out there and hang out. Gotcha. Triple A team, or oh uh, yeah, cool. Favorite superhero? I would say Iron Man. Some people might not say he's a superhero, but I I like the movies. Okay. Okay. How about favorite racing facility? We'll keep it back to racing. I would say, I would say Norwalk for sure. Yeah, because their ice cream, one hundred percent. Dollar ice cream is hard to argue with. I like that answer. Exactly. <laughs> How about a a pet peeve or the one thing that annoys you the most? People chewing gum here and then when they eat, and that just drives me crazy. Oh, here in the smack. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about one single round of competition, whether it involved you or not, but one round of competition that you will never forget? I can't think of anything right there. Okay. Nothing that jumps out. Nope. Okay. Fair enough. You're off the hot seat, Evan Eisenhower. Congratulations again, man. One heck of a season, young man with the with the amazing future ahead of him and already some incredible accomplishments behind him i'm proud of you man thank you for coming on the podcast with us and congratulations on one hell of a year no not a problem thank you i appreciate it I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. For most racers around the country, we are approaching the off-season. What better way to use the off-season to ready for 2019 than to have a regular practice regimen? Portatree products make great gifts for racers. If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put Portatree on the list. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next-Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree. Portatree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call Portatree, 1-800-541-7613. Find them on Facebook or check out www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order.
BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field-tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi, is stocked with thousands of parts and is centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. All right, guys, that will wrap up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. On behalf of Big Jed, I want to thank you for listening. I also want to thank this week's championship guest, Devin Eisenhower, for joining us. Uh, And, of course, the sponsors who make it possible for us to present this show uh, weekly or at least on a regular basis. Please show your support to those sponsors. And... Tell us what you think about this show, about this particular episode, about the show going forward. Any ideas that you have for us, some segments, possibly some uh, topics that you would like to see discussed on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. You let us know those by messaging us on our Facebook page. That's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Or you can add us on Twitter. I am at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Jed is at JP11X. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get in it. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my truck. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.